Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Acts chapter 20, verse number 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued preaching, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for life is in him. One translation said, Don't worry about him. Look at someone and tell them, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. Don't trouble yourselves. Don't worry for life is in him. And when he had come up, he had broken bread and eaten and talked for a long while, even until daybreak. And he departed. And they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. And this is one of the most unique stories, I think, in the New Testament. But I want to preach about this young man named Eutychus who sat in a window while Paul preached. And I want to preach a message tonight for just a few moments. I'm not going to hold you long, but for a few moments, I would like to preach a message tonight called All In. Look at somebody tell them I'm all in. Well, let me just jump right to this text tonight. I'm not a great storyteller. I've been in the book of Acts for the last two years of my life. I've preached almost exclusively from the book of Acts. And I'm not saying that is some formula. I'm just telling you that in the days that we're living, I, I need to see living testimonies of how the church not just survived, but expanded in serious position. We are living not in normal days. We are living in days where the enemy and evil have expedited assignments and expedited attacks against the righteous. And this is not something the Bible doesn't tell us about. The Bible is very clear that in the last day, things will get expeditedly more evil. You didn't come here tonight for me to talk about that, but I want to explain to you that Scripture has not been caught off guard by the foolishness of our day. The Holy Spirit is not scrambling to come up with a res- um, um, uh, some sort of response to evil. God is not popping Prozac tonight. God is not in some corner of the universe wondering how to handle what's going on. God is on the throne. His plan is still being accomplished and the devil is still defeated. 
And in days like we're living, I, I felt the Lord lead me back to the book of Acts two years ago and he began to speak to me about the blueprint of successful ministry in this day. And I don't want to go through all that I've been preaching, but, but I'm in the book of Acts tonight preaching to a young generation because the content of the book of Acts is germane and pertinent to your generation. And I know that there are people who would come to a youth conference and dream up something cool, but I'd rather be convicting. And I know that there are some people tonight that would come to a youth conference wanting something relevant, but I'm going to tell you what relevance is, is to a blind man, can you tell me something that'll help me see? Relevance to a weak man is can you help me get stronger? Relevance to a marriage falling apart is can you take me to somebody that can heal me? And I'm concerned that we know what to say, but we don't know the one we're preaching about. And I'm taking us, I just want us to walk through this text tonight for a few moments, even though it's in the book of Acts. It's pertinent for you and I tonight. The first thing I want you to understand is that the Book of Acts, the 20th chapter, happens during the third missionary journey of Paul. He's already been on two missionary journeys. And he can't get enough, so he comes back for some more. Now, I would have you know that on the first two missionary journeys, he is not treated like a king. They do not roll out the red carpet for him. Everywhere he goes is not just uh, dandelions and tulips and peanut butter and jelly. In fact, if you look at the first and second missionary journey of Paul, you will find he was threatened of his life. He almost died several times. He was turned on by those in the Jewish community. Everywhere he went, there was a revival or a riot. Everywhere he went, they threatened his life. And I want to preach this to you tonight because after two missionary journeys, he's back for a third. Why? Because there's something about really falling in love with Jesus that makes you ignore the threat and makes you a terror to the kingdom of darkness. I want to preach here tonight. That after two missionary journeys and almost being killed in both of them, Paul decides to get on a boat and go back one more time. Why? Because there's something about Jesus and the call on him, of the call of God on our lives that is irresistible. I want to tell you tonight that some of us have been exposed to convenient Christianity. It is one reason why you don't even want to get up and go to church on Sunday morning because you've seen enough fraudulent stuff in the house of God. God, and I just want to remind you that not every preacher that walks to the pulpit is a pulpit pimp trying to take your money. There are really some people who love Jesus, and when you find a man or woman of God like that, you ought to be thankful for them. And when they storm hell, pull out your water pistol and fight the devil with them. There's some people in this room tonight, you've been wondering what is all this Christianity about? I want to tell you tonight, when you get around the kind of people who would die for Jesus, it'll make you hell's worst nightmare. Let me tell you this, the devil cannot kill somebody who has already died to themselves and been raised to newness of life in Jesus. I better quit it because I feel like preaching right here. But if you want to be, if you want to be known in heaven and known in hell, you've got to have more than a social media following. You've got to have more than a blue check mark by 
Somebody say amen. Third missionary journey. He can't get enough of it. Almost dead, both journeys, and he comes back for one more. Y'all need to hang out with some people who love Jesus so much. We always quote this in Revelation. How many ever quote, heard this quoted in your church? They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word. That's how we do it. Woo! The word of their testimony. They overcame the enemy by the blood. They overcame the enemy by their testimony. How many got a testimony tonight? I'm not talking about that cute little edited testimony. I'm talking about how many got a real testimony. I'm talking about that stuff. If we played it on the big screen, you'd crawl under the pew and waddle out to your car hoping nobody ever follow you. I came to tell you tonight, God doesn't qualify. He does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if you've been to a hootenanny or a crack house or a whorehouse, but you made a pit stop at Calvary, don't ever let the devil tell you that your identity was shaped how many are thankful that the blood is speaking on our behalf tonight how many have a testimony that's where, where we usually stop the next part said and they love not their life unto death which means this they were not afraid to die for Jesus if you're going to overcome the devil, you're going to have to conquer the fear of death. And Paul's not afraid to die, which made him hell's worst nightmare. And you know what else happened? The devil couldn't kill Paul until God got through with him. Can I tell you something? A submitted, obedient child of the living God you can't destroy them until God says it's time for them to come home. And even then, Job said, when worms invade my body and when I'm laying with rigor mortis in a tomb, in my flesh one day I'm going to see God. What does that mean? It means death will not have the last say. Can I preach some eschatology to a young generation? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, this mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. Then we'll be brought to pass the same death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Somebody in here needs to praise God that you have victory even over death itself in Jesus. Third mission, I got to get to this. Third missionary journey. Some of y'all think, why is he preaching on death at a youth conference? Because you'd be amazed how many people are in here that tonight afraid to die. Jesus will save you so deep and so wide. He'll baptize you in his love and his power and his presence so real that you can leave this place tonight being so in touch with him and the world will lose its grip on your soul. So here in Acts 20, Paul's on his third missionary journey. And most theologians will tell you he made this missionary journey to strengthen those converts and leaders that he won on his first two missionary journeys. So he comes back here. 
The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 20 that they sailed from Philippi. And the Bible says that they went to Asia and now they are on the first day of the week and the disciples came together to break bread. Paul knew he was leaving the next day. So first of all, let me talk to the Paul generation in this room. You and I don't have an unallotted amount of time. Paul was urgent in spreading the message with his converts because he knew he was leaving the next day. Time is the most precious commodity we have on this side of heaven. And when you know that your days are numbered, you cannot afford to waste days. And so I'd like to speak to the senior pastors and the senior leaders and the youth pastors and the youth leaders. There is a reason that there's an urgency in your spirit. And if there's not one, you need to get one because you don't know how long you're going to be here. And the, this young generation needs to hear the testimony and the deposit and the anointing and they need to draw from the river of God on the inside of you. The first people I came to when I walked in this room was, was a, a, a Pastor Tom's mother and father. I wanted to shake their hand. I wanted them to look me in the eye. Why? Because they fought some stuff that I've yet to fight. They've walked through some valleys that I'm walking through. They've overcome some mountains that I'm still climbing and I just wanted to know what a miracle look like how some of you mothers and fathers in the faith you don't have time to pontificate and play bozo the clown with this generation you don't know when you're going home make sure every moment that you have is a moment that is significant for those coming behind you Paul knew he was leaving in the morning so he began to preach and he began to pour out. And this is an apostle who has seen Jesus. Heard the Lord. Caught up to the heavenly places that was unlawful for him to even repeat. Had encounters with God that no other man in the New Testament even experienced. The 12 disciples experienced Jesus walking on the seashore of Galilee, not Paul. Paul was busy caught up in his Jewish Levitical ways. But on his road to Damascus, you know the story. He met that Galilean while he was on his beast. He fell from the beast and he's laying in the dusty road of a Dama dusty soil of a Damascus road. And he sees a light and he hears a voice. Saul. This is Jesus. Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? Why do you withstand me? That's what he was saying. Why do you fight against me, Saul? And laying there in the road, here is this most distinguished Jewish man, hated Jesus and tried to kill the church, laying humiliated by the light from heaven. He looks up at Jesus' light and says, Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? That's a good place to start for some of us tonight. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Can I tell you the greatest day of your life is the day you get born again. The second greatest day of your life is the day you figure out why. 
Some of us are saved, but we don't know what we're doing. Some of us aren't even saved. I want to tell you before I leave this pulpit tonight, I'm giving an altar call for sinners to come to Jesus and to get their black heart filled with his holy precious blood until it gets made white as snow. And that's the greatest miracle you'll ever experience is the miracle of regeneration. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And he spent the last third of his life figuring out who the Lord was and what he wanted him to do. Here he is in this room. This apostle begins to teach. <laughs> and I like this text. Some people will say, you know, you don't preach these kind of texts at a youth conference because they never heard this before, and you got to spend a lot of time acquainting them with the text. Listen, I don't think we need to dumb down the Bible for you and act like you don't know how to read the Bible. The Bible is your Bible. It's for you. It's for you. Every single scripture in this book was written for you. And you say, well, I can't understand it. Keep on reading it. And the next time you start reading it and your mind says you don't understand it, I dare you to stand up, lift your hands and say, Holy Ghost, help me read the Bible today. Help me understand the Bible. It'll blow your mind what happens when the Spirit of God rests on you as you read the Bible. You want to know why? He's the one who wrote the Bible. I can't read it. You don't say that when you play a video game that you don't know how to. Oh, I did it. Well, here we go. Stay with it. Paul got in a room and started preaching and teaching the word. And here's what the Bible says. There were many lamps in that room. I think I'm going to park right here and preach a minute. I don't want to go to a dark room. That's what the enemy wants for you and your generation is for you to hang out in dark rooms. Give me some lamps. Ready for this? Here's what a dark room will do for you. You can choose your gender. I might should have got permission to say that. Let me help you understand something. God will decide what you are. And you don't have to spend the rest of your life in confusion or listening to someone demon-possessed. Hold on. About to get in trouble here. I refuse to let someone who don't know the truth try to explain to me how to find truth. I'm going to stick with the lamp. I'm going to stay in a room where the lamps are lit. Sit, sit, sit down. Let me talk. Let me talk. You know, you know you're in a room tonight with some lamps. You know what a lamp is? A lamp is a thing that has a wick and an oil container. And the only thing it needs to work is a spark of fire. And I know that when the Bible said that the 
room was full of lamps, I know that they were talking about natural lamps in the room. But when I read that text, I couldn't help but think about Paul who had a wick and oil on the inside. And when he opened up his mouth, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus sat down on Paul. And when Paul began to talk, everybody in that room sitting in darkness started coming into the light. Oh, oh, that's why we got so many teenagers screwed up and don't know who they are. They've been in a room with no lamps. Get back in the room with your preacher and your youth pastor. Get back in the room with your prayer mamas and your prayer dads. Get in the room with some lamps. feel like preaching in this room tonight evangelist I want to tell you you can talk about us you can make fun of us you can tell us that we're not relevant but what I have the world didn't give and the world cannot take it away I want to tell you tonight amazing grace is still the sweetest sound I know we're hanging out in dark rooms we're singing two fast songs, two slow songs, preaching three points, a poem and a prayer. And we're calling that the move of God. The problem is there's no oil in the lamp. You can look like a lamp, have a wick like a lamp, have a knob for the oil. But if you don't have no oil, you're just an empty lamp. Oh Lord. The next time you get in a dark room, remember you're a lamp. You get in a room and they start talking about choosing genders or Choosing what kind of sin you want to engage in. When you get in that kind of room, turn your lamp on. Don't let them drag you into their darkness. I had an old preacher one time. He told me, Ken, he told me, he said, Kevin, keep yourself out of peculiar situations with women. I said, that's good wisdom, Bishop. I said, what should I do? He said, if you get in a mess with a woman and she comes on to you, do one of two things. Act stupid or get spiritual. That's what he told me. Well, I pray like Jesus said, lead me not into temptation. How many, how many know that's what you ought to pray? Well, one time it didn't work. One time it didn't work. I was going to a lunch with a young lady we were friends. I was raised holiness. I never kissed anybody but my mama on the cheek every night before I went to bed. I was a freshman at Lee and she was a senior and, well, she liked me. I didn't know she liked me like she liked me, but she liked me. So she said, let's go to lunch and we went to lunch. She took me down an undeveloped road in an undeveloped subdivision. Park me in a in a cul-de-sac and she leaned over I thought my god what's happening 
My mama's in a tree somewhere praying in the Holy Ghost. This is about to get violent. She pulled over. I said, what are we doing? This don't look like old Charlie. She said, no, we're going to old Charlie's. But before we do, I thought we'd make out. This true story before the Lord. She closed her eyes and leaned over. I said, She started crying. She jerked that car in reverse. I said, I won't be having lunch with you at O'Charlie's today. Take me back to my dorm and drop me off. Somebody said, well, you're a little weird. No, I'm not. I held myself for my wife. Don't you feel sorry for me? I never had to worry about a venereal disease. I never had to worry about an STD. Y'all better help me preach in here. You better turn the lamp on. You can't live in darkness. Stay in the room where the lamp is. In the room with the lamp. He's in there preaching. I refuse to preach in a dark room. If you're raising children, don't raise them in a dark room. Get them around the lamps. Get them in some oil. Get them where the fire's burning. Well, Brother Wallace, that lamp, you know, that fire, you, you can't win everybody with that, that kind of preaching, that kind of holiness talk. Let me tell you right now, we are witnessing in the church what we are seeing is the evidence that this milksop, watered-down worldliness is not going to cut it for the people of the kingdom of God. I know your pastor is a leader in the kingdom. I'm sure if he had this microphone, he could testify of what I'm about to say being real. Every week I turn around. I, I am broken. I am in fear and trembling as we see another scandal unfold in the church. I will lose some of you on this, but I'm going to tell you this because I love you. Stay away from alcohol. I know. I know. There it goes with legalism. Nope. It's called wisdom. It's the principal thing. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sit down. Stop seeing how carnal you can be and still be anointed because you can't be very carnal and be really anointed. You ought to run from evil. You ought to run to righteousness and you ought to let God be God in your life. Every single situation that I have been dealing with as a bishop or an overseer in the churches that the Lord has asked me to be a part of leading, every single one of them started with alcohol. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Oh, Pastor Wallace, you're being so religious. Listen, we've been told that holiness is religion. When holiness is the gift God gives to those who want him more than they want the world. (laughs) 
Well, Brother Wallace, I'm, a, I, I'm all in grace. Grace is not a license to see how much you can get away with. Say amen, church. Let me teach you. Sit down a minute, please. They're in a room full of lamps. And there's this dude, a dude named Eutychus. Eutychus is in a room where the lamps are. But the Bible gives us an interesting piece of information that I had to pray into for some time. I said, Lord, what is it about this story you're trying to show me? And he said, I want you to pay particular attention to where Eutychus was. Eutychus is in a window. He's in the only place in a room where you can experience what's happening in the room and simultaneously experience what's happening outside. One leg in the room. One leg in the world. One leg in the light. One leg in the dark. One leg in the room where the lamps are burning on Sunday morning. That's where you find me. On Friday night, I'll be down at the hoot nanny. Here's my concern. We have a generation who's in. But they're not all in. Eutychus sitting in the window. The window of the move of God. You know what's wrong? When your phone is running slow or your computer is backed up, you know what they tell you to do? Close the windows. Got too many open windows. Yeah. I want to tell you this right now. Some of you aren't experiencing the full joy of Jesus. Not because he's not real. But because he don't have all of you. Because you don't want all of him. I ain't come tonight to beat you up. I came to tell you tonight it's time to get all in. Let, let, let me explain something. I didn't know this until I began to study this message. There is a reason why Eutychus, look at what the text says very clearly. In the Greek, it's even more emphatic. It says he sank into a deep sleep. He didn't just fall asleep. Now, I just want to tell you, I've been to some movies. I don't go see garbage, but I like Spider-Man. Good, good holiness. I think he was a holiness Marvel member most of the time. A couple of months ago, my family wanted to go watch Spider-Man, so they got me a ticket, and I will be. I didn't even know that movie theaters had recliners. 
my wife got me a ticket to a high-def movie theater that had a recliner for my whole family. We're late. We're sitting all in a row, and I sit down, and I looked over, and it had buttons. I said, Devin, what is this? She said, it's a recliner. I said, a recliner? Lord, have mercy. Where have I been? I leaned that chair back. And before we got out of the credits, <laughs> Devin slapped me. You're a horrible date. <laughs> Wasted $10.75. I knew you were going to fall asleep. Well, if you knew you were going to watch me fall asleep, why'd you bring me to a theater with a recliner in the first place? What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. What happened to me is the same thing that happened to Eutychus. And it's the same thing happening to many of you. Let me teach. Your body, everybody say my body. Your body has an internal clock called the circadian rhythm. You, you have a circadian rhythm that tells you when the sun rises, it's time to start getting up. Blood pressure rises, heart rate rises, it gets your body active. When my daughter for Christmas this year, she said to me, Daddy, my 14-year-old daughter Judah, she said, Daddy, I want a sunrise alarm clock. I said, what is that? It's a little alarm clock that when her alarm goes off, Ken, it puts this, this little circle emits light. And it's intended to wake her up gently. So at 6.50, when she gets up, it's got a little bit of light. If she's not up by 7 o'clock, it gets brighter. By 7.15, it's a blazing inferno in there. Why? Because your eyes are the gate to your circadian rhythm. Listen carefully. When your eyes begin to see light, it sends a message to neurons and, and cells at the back of your eyes and those messages go to your medulla oblongata at the base of your brain and it begins to stimulate your body and wake you up so that you get going for the day. Consequently, at nighttime, when you turn the light down or you go to a theater and you push the recliner back and the lights go down and the, and the movie comes on, it begins to send a signal to your brain saying, night, night, bedtime, and it releases a chemical in your body called melatonin. Melatonin puts you out. There is a reason why Eutychus fell asleep. It's not because he was a bad kid. It's because you cannot sit in the dark and control your system. I'm getting ready to preach. You can't sit in a dark room and control your system. We are teaching kids sin management and darkness management rather than lighting fires and running the darkness out of the building. I wish you would slap somebody and tell your neighbor, say neighbor, it's not time to go to sleep. Somebody help me preach right here. Rise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. I came to tell you what a snap you out.
out of religion, the fire of the Holy Ghost burning will snap you out of religion. So what we have, I'm almost through. What we have is an entire generation who have lost their rhythm. We've lost our circadian rhythm. Go home and study this. We've been exposing our hearts and minds and eyes to darkness. And here's the thing. It don't kill you immediately. It just puts you to sleep. Killing you softly. That's what the enemy is. He's not trying to destroy you overnight. He's just trying to put you in dark places where there's no fire burning. And over time, it's called sinking into sleep. It don't happen one Wednesday or one Sunday. It happens in one summer. It happens over a course of weeks and months. You just start dozing off. And we can't find you in youth group no more. We don't see you in church on Sunday no more. And when you come, you come late and leave early. What's wrong, Pastor? What's wrong, Kev, Pastor Kevin? I tell you what's wrong. You're sinking. You're just sinking until finally he winds up in a deep sleep. And when you wind up in a deep sleep, you're not dead, but you can't control the fall. He fell three stories. Now, some of y'all would blame Paul for this. What kind of preacher holds a teenager till midnight? Oh, if I had time, I think I'm just going to preach round two right here. What kind of preacher preaches to teenagers till midnight? Doesn't he know his audience? Oh, yes. His audience was not the teenager. His audience was the audience of one. And when you get your eyes on Jesus and off the crowd, you won't care. Somebody said, when are you through preaching? When the Holy Ghost says I'm through preaching, that's when I'm through preaching. I want to make an announcement. The sermon did not kill Eutychus. And the sermons we're preaching in Holy Ghost pulpits are not the problem. Don't you listen to some, oh God. Well, we've got to reconfigure how we do ministry. What we're trying to do is reconfigure God. I want to tell you, I believe in being relevant. I believe we ought to speak in a language our generation understands. But don't take the blood out. Don't take Jesus out. Don't take the fire out. Don't take the Holy Ghost. The sermon ain't what's killing people. The darkness well, why would Paul keep them? Can I preach this 10 more minutes and I'm going to let you go? Why would, the, why would Paul preach to midnight? This ain't the first time that joker's been up at midnight. I believe Paul tapped into something in a Philippian jail. Ooh, I feel like preaching right here. Yes, I do. I believe he tapped into something at midnight in a Philippian jail. The Bible said in Acts 16 at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God until suddenly there was a shift in the tectonic plates of the earth and the Bible said that the prison door bars flew 
flew open and the chains fell off and prisoners became praisers and the jail cell become revival center and the Holy and the Holy Ghost began to move. I just dropped by to tell you if you can pray to midnight, if you can praise at midnight, Paul said, let me try preaching till midnight. I want to tell you if you preach to midnight, you can preach people out of one season and into another season. We being only endures for a night. He prays. That's a sermon. He praised at midnight. He prayed at midnight. And in Acts 20, he preached till midnight. Eutychus comes under the influence of the darkness without, even though he's exposed to the light within. And the darkness without shuts his system down. He falls asleep and he falls out the window. And he fell three stories. There's some people in here tonight You've fallen a couple of stories. Might have been two stories. Like Eutychus, it might have been three. Yeah, tune me up. It might have been three stories. Maybe some of you fell four or five stories. I want to tell you, no matter how many stories you've fallen, it's part of your story of redemption. And a just man falls down seven times. But I came to Independence, Kentucky, to tell you that even though you fall down seven times, Friday night is a good night to get back up one more time. Somebody shout yes. I'm standing on the altar and I feel like God sent me to rescue somebody. Somebody who fell under the weight of sin. Somebody who fell under the depression of the enemy. Somebody who fell under the deception of the devil. I came to tell you if the sun shows up and makes you free, you will be free indeed. Somebody shout yes. Somebody shout yes. I'm through here. Now Eutychus sat in the window and Paul preached till midnight. And Paul is not afraid to stay up till midnight because Paul's seen God move at midnight. Oh, yes he has. I feel like preaching in here right now. And the Bible said that when the Paul was right in the middle of his sermon and Eutychus fell asleep and he fell three stories out the window. You can tell we practice this. This is great. He's laying out in the road. Paul, stay there, Eutychus. Paul is up here on the third story preaching. Eutychus is down in the road dead. Paul does not keep preaching. Because at some point, we have to go on a rescue mission. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes we got to go get people who got themselves in a mess. And don't sit out there and look so holy at me because I've been in my own mess before. And I'm thankful for men and women of God who came down off the third floor of their bishopric and they come out of their title and they come off of their pulpit and they walk down the steps
that's what Jesus did. Isn't that what Jesus did? He who lived in heaven descended and became a man, walked through 40 and two generations to rescue somebody who fell like Everybody else is looking at him laying in the road. And they said, he's dead. But only one person got close enough to the fallen boy. I ain't trying to be funny, but this is what he did. He got down on top of him. I believe he prayed. And Paul reported back to the people who would not get close to him and said, he's not dead. He still has life. I said, I feel a breakthrough coming. You say, Pastor Wallace, why did you come from Chattanooga? Some of you think I came to preach. I came on a rescue mission. I came to find a young man. I came to find some young ladies who were sitting in the window and religion rocked you to sleep. And the devil said, you'll never get up. And religious people in your church looked at you and said, you'll never get up. But I came tonight to get down on the ground with you and to tell you that you still have life. You still have a future. You are not dead yet. You still have a future. You still have a tomorrow. The devil wish he could have killed you, but the devil is alive. God is about to bring the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and is going to quicken you out of that place. The Bible said that the Holy Ghost is the spirit that quickens. If you need God, throw your hands up and give him praise. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym and remember you can have as much of God as you want.